Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. So today is day 14 of 21 Days of Prayer. For those of you that are participating with us at Refuge, every year we begin our year by spending time seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting. And if you haven't received the prayer guide, we have prayer guides available, or you can check out online. We have uh, information there concerning the fast, concerning uh, daily prayer focuses, and in particular, this daily prayer focus is responding to persecution. And you might say, well, what's that all about? Well, we're kind of walking through the book of Romans. And each of those, Romans chapter 12, actually, and we see aspects that address issues that we all deal with and face in life. And so in Romans twelve fourteen, it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. See, so often we may struggle in areas when somebody says something about you that may not be true, a false accusation, or something that how they, and how they deal with you is, is, is really persecution. It's beating you down. It's holding you back. And so we need to res- respond to persecute, persecution by blessing and not cursing. And so as we open in prayer this morning, for this prayer focus, you may be dealing with something, maybe at work, maybe a situation or circumstance, or maybe something will come at some point where you'll be persecuted because Jesus gave us this promise. We don't like to claim it. said, just as he was persecuted, so will we be persecuted. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you for your faith, for your belief, for your commitment to Christ. You will endure or suffer some level or form of persecution, okay? And so, we're going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to just uh, join our faith. We'll join our faith together as we do. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that declares that when we're persecuted, we're to bless the persecuted, and we're to pray for those that would despitefully use us. Father, we ask for strength and wisdom to carry out and fulfill what you've instructed us in your word. Father, we thank you that in this life, although we may face persecution, we respond differently than the world does. We respond out of love. Father, we respond to minister blessing rather than cursing. Father, help us to do that as you've instructed us in your word. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning as it goes forth, that you desire to minister truth, Father, that will make an impact in our lives. Father, we do pray for Deb and her family. Father, we pray that you would minister comfort and strength during this time. And Father, we pray for your blessing over Mackenzie as she goes to Australia, as we release her, Father, into what you've called her to do for this season of training. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. Well, the message this morning, and this is actually a three-part series we're presently in. Uh, The first part was build people. Uh, Today, we're talking about building relationships. And next Sunday, we'll be talking about building the church. And we realize that relationships are vital to life. They really are. And uh, 2019, I believe, is a year to build. It's a year to grow. And I believe there's great expectation for this year. And one aspect of that 
when there's growth is how are we going to navigate in our relationships? Whether it is the husband, the wife, um, father, son, son, mother, whatever the relationship is. Uh, we need to navigate through these things. And God gives us a, a great blueprint in his word for how to do it successfully. And last week, we talked about the importance of, of adopting a builder mindset when it comes to building people. And we shared the three E's in building people. We encourage, we engage, and we equip. Actually, I shared it in the order of we engage, we encourage, and we equip. And I believe that's important as we look at those aspects of building people. If you want to turn with me to Matthew sixteen eighteen, a key passage we're using for the scripture is found there. And we're going to read the second part of that particular passage. This is Jesus speaking, and he's addressing his disciples at the time that Peter just acknowledged that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. And this statement followed that declaration of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Jesus stated, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this particular verse has great meaning to me. And it's been a great foundation of this church and this ministry from its inception. And I'll take you back and share a little story of of the Saturday night before January 22nd, 1984. As I was finalizing my sermon as we were preparing and planning to launch a brand new church in this community. We met that first service at the Best Western Royale, which is across town by 10 and 51, that junction, intersection there. And we met there with a group of people that some were curious, some were hungry, some were wanting to do something significant for God. And the Saturday night before, this man, this guy right here, was getting cold feet. I was thinking, okay, Lloyd, I don't know if you've got the right guy. And so I can remember I made a futile attempt to preach my first message before a mirror. And I'm standing and looking at myself, and I start preaching. I got within five minutes of the message, and I stopped. And I thought to myself, this isn't going to be a good message. This isn't going to go over. This isn't going to impact people's lives. And I begin to allow fear and doubt to flood my mind and my heart. And so I thought, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. And I actually got on my face before God, and I'm just really, in a way, fearful of failing, fearful of what's going to happen the next morning when I'm standing before whoever would show up at that first service. And as I was on my knees before God, the Spirit of God started to speak something to my heart. And it rose up in me so strong that it brought such great comfort and strength and courage that is here with me today. And what the Lord had spoke to me was, I am building this church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he spoke to my heart and said, you only have a part in it. 
Just do your part. And in that moment, I felt the presence of God lift me from the fear of failure, from the of failing, and even had, didn't even you know step out there yet, and I was already defeated. Kind of, He delivered me from that, and flooded my heart with courage, so that that next day when I stood before that group of people, I was able to present a message of passion, and, and the message, the title was. The, about the believer's role. The ministry of the believer was the title of that first message. What are we supposed to do as Christians? And, and that's history now as I look back, but I've seen God's faithfulness over 35 years. But yet that passage, Matthew 16, 18, still is speaking to me. In fact, anytime we deal with a challenge or a difficulty, The first thing that comes to mind is, oh God, I thank you that Jesus is building this church. So if Jesus is building this church, the enemy and hell cannot prevail against it. And so I can bank on that. And that should be our declaration over refuge. Jesus is building refuge. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now Jesus was speaking about the church. And the church has a universal implication but it also has a local impact. So it has a presence on a local level and on a universal level. And so just as there are churches, plural, there is one church universal, okay, that's made up of all believers of every walk of life, every race, every color, every creed, make up the body of Christ. Those who have acknowledged and committed themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's how you join the church. You surrender to his lordship. Amen. And you can join a local church, but if you don't join the universal church, uh, you just, you know, abiding time. You, 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 you mess up. Okay. I won't say any more than that. So to build is to construct or form something by putting parts or material together over a period of time. And we realize that building is a process that requires time and effort. In fact, you may have heard the expression, Rome was not built overnight. And, and what Jesus is doing, it's not an overnight thing. It's not an overnight process. The fact is, he's building something in you. Because the church is not a building. It's a people. It's made up of people like you and like me. We are the church. Matthew sixteen eighteen became a foundational scripture to me as a young pastor, and it is still today. And I believe that that's significant when we understand what Jesus is doing. Because that's what we need to be concerned about, what is Jesus doing? And then somehow get involved with what he's doing. Now, Revelation 119, as we think about, as I think about 35 years, we see uh, Jesus appearing to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And he gives him instruction. And he said, write in verse 19, Revelation 19, he says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. So we see in Revelation 119 a reference to the past, to the present, and to the future. 
And it's important that we recognize the past and what we've done, what's been accomplished, where we've been, so that we can better know where we're going as a reference point. Because we don't want to live in the past, but we use the past to help us navigate in this present time so that we can be directed towards the future, the course that God has for us. And we do have a future. It's not over. It's not game over. Even if you leave this life, it's not over for you if you're a believer. Because life continues in eternity, such as it is for Jean, Pastor Deb's mom. Life has continued for her. We step from death to life. But we want to hang, on, hang around a few more years to make a difference, don't we? To have a healthy perspective of where we are at right now, we must be able to relate to the past and the future. I just want to encourage, if you are, uh, haven't signed up for Refuge Life, immediately after the service, we offer what we call Refuge Life, an opportunity to learn about the church. We provide a free meal. You can't go wrong there. We provide child care. Can't go wrong there if you have children. And we will take about an hour and just share with you the mission and vision of the church and, and how you can get involved. We believe it's important that everyone be connected to a local church somewhere. In fact, Jesus has a place for you because in part, as a part of his body, you have a place, you have a role that you are to fulfill. So we encourage you, if uh, you can stay, have made any other plans for lunch, join us. If you'd like to consider, or you're under no obligation, you can just check it out and make a decision later. Some of you, you already know, this is where I'm going to be planting uh, or being planted uh, as a member of of this body. So So, in order to build and grow, we have a goal. And that goal is a working body. Ephesians 4.16, we shared this with you last week. We want to share it again in the English Standard Version. It reads, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so, how does this relate to our church? Well, I believe all people matter to God. Refuge is a place we grow, where we find authentic hope and purpose and love through Jesus. And so, a working body is God's desire. As it says in this passage, when each part is working properly, the body grows, just as in the natural. As a child, we have Theo sitting on Deb's lap. When every member of his little body is working properly, he will grow. And one day, he may be taller than his mom and dad. And look out, mom and dad. (laughs) So... He doesn't have any hair yet, but neither did Nathan. So it'll grow. Just give him time. (laughs) Yeah, a little baldy there, but he's still cute, right? So how do we build a relationship? What What are some essential elements? Well, first we want to define, I want to define relationships for you. We're going to then look at three important elements 
that are necessary for building relationships. Relationship is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. It's the state of being connected. It's all about connecting. Now, my definition of relationship is the ability to relate to someone else. It's the ability to relate to another. And if, if you cannot relate to somebody, then you don't have a relationship with them. Relationship is a two-way street. However, not only should we want people to relate to us, we need to relate to them. See, not only does God relate to us, we need to relate to him. See, he related to us by sending Jesus, by becoming us, one of us. He took on a human form so that he could relate to humanity. And so we also need to relate to him. It's a two-way street. Now, when we think about relationships, we think about relatives. And relatives are those that you are related to. We think of family. We think of marriage. We think of kinship. We think of the in-laws, the outlaws, and everyone in between. And, and because, you know, and one thing with relationships, it's about getting to know somebody. If you are in relationship, you are getting to know that person to discover their strengths, their weaknesses, their likes, their dislikes. You're learning about their character, their behavior, their attitudes. You're learning all that stuff. And, you know, sometimes the closer you get to somebody, the more things you begin to see that you don't like. See, marriage is one of those things. But yet, God's ordained marriage. And yet, you know, we deal with things sometimes that we don't always see from the external or from a surface. So whatever is relative is that which is important to us. So when we think about relationship, a relationship is what's relative to us, what's important to us. And so in these three important elements of building relationships, the first one is unconditional love. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. And when we look at unconditional love, we need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter of the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4, we see scripture that is not only convicting, but scripture that also defines the parameter of unconditional love. And it's something that we too need to identify with because it's something that God has called us to embrace in the way we live our life, the way we conduct ourselves, and how we interact with others. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, love is patient and kind. Now, some of you lost it right there. Oh, I'm not very patient. <laughs> so is this describing who you are? Well, hopefully it should. It, because if you're born of the love of God, which you are if you're a Christian, then this dynamic has a place in your life. It just needs to be fostered. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be developed. Uh, Jesus... Actually, the Bible defines God is love. And the Bible talks about us being born of love. We are born, literally born of the 
love nature of God. We have the capacity to love as he loves because we're born of his love nature. And so this defines it maybe in a more practical way. Love does not envy or boast. Oh, boy. Quit boasting about those Packers. Uh, (laughs) No, especially when you're around Chicago Bear fans, right? Or Minnesota fans, you know, the Vikings. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Notice verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things. It's believing the best in in, in everyone. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. One translation says love never fails. Love doesn't fail. When you go the route of love, it cannot fail. It really can't because you always come through every situation that you have to endure. Love will prevail. Now, no one is exempt or excused from demonstrating unconditional love in a relationship if it's to be healthy. And so one of the things that uh, Deb and I do when we are with somebody in our premarital prep, we'll give them an assignment. Sometimes if it's a marriage counseling situation, we'll give them an assignment to take this chapter, verse, uh, Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and begin to make declarations over their own life. And where it says love is patient, to say I am patient. And then to speak that over their spouse or their partner. And that, you know, that's, that's a good thing to speak good things over each other instead of always the negative and saying, oh, you, you never do this. You never get this right. Um, but to speak the word of God over someone will make a difference, especially when we speak what God has declared concerning unconditional love. And what is unconditional love? Unconditional love is love that you don't place conditions upon. So, well, I'll do this for you if. I'll love you if. Yeah. So unconditional love says, I love you, period. Okay. So in light of 1 Corinthians 13, we must move away from the superficial and the shallow and move towards the genuine and authentic when it comes to relationships. Romans 12.9 reads, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let your love be genuine, be real. See, people can see through um, fakeness. They can see through the superficial. They can see through that. But genuine love, you can't fake it. It's real. It's tangible. It moves the heart. It connects and relates to people. And I believe that people out there in this world today are looking for genuine love. They really are. And the church needs to be at the forefront of that. How can we engage the culture with the genuine love of God in our dealings with them? The second important element to building relationships is sacrifice. 
Now, this may be a tough one for many because sacrifice is not easy. It's painful. There's a cost. There's a price to pay to sacrifice. And so Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at that. Turn there, if you would, with me. And and the Apostle Paul is, is writing here to the Philippians, and he's really encouraging them in their particular situation and their walk of life. So it starts out in verse 1, says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ or any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he's posing like a question, if there's any of this, which there should be, he's implying these should be present in your life among your relationships. There should be encouragement. There should be comfort from love. There should be participation, affection, and sympathy. These should be demonstrated and expressed from our lives towards others. And then verse 2 says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, we got to get on the same page. We got to get on the same page with this love thing, okay? And, and, and Apostle Paul, because he was the instructor, he was a teacher, he was responsible for those that were receiving from his ministry. And his joy being made complete is, hey, you get this. You get this message. You get this training and so that you can begin to live and walk this thing out. And so getting on the same page, verse 3, notice this is the tough one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, see, there's a lot of ambition. People are ambitious in this world. They have a goal. They're pursuing a career or something. But yet, to be ambition-minded without the love of God or considering others only will lead to arrogance and conceit and what the Bible calls here selfish ambition. So do nothing from selfish ambition. In other words, you need to refute selfish tendencies. And, you know, a good one for me is, you know, when I'm uh, serving desserts and I'm cutting them. Selfishness tells me, take the largest one. Hmm. And so that's always a test for me. And I have to admit, many times I've failed. But yet I'm learning, and, and when I do it, I, I feel the pain. Oh, but yet after I do it, I feel pretty good. Oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I did a good thing, you know. But that's just a, a small thing, you know, desserts. But let's apply that in other areas of life. When you are so set on what you want, that you refuse to consider what someone else desires or what they need. And so do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but notice, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. See, this takes away self-centeredness. This shifts the focus not on the big I, the big me, but on those around you. When you begin to consider other people, And see, until you begin to consider other people, you will never have healthy relationships. 
Because it will only be self-centered, self-focused, self-consumed. It requires humility, the humbling of yourself. And verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interest. And it says only, it doesn't say you can't look to your own interest, but don't just look at your own interest. Consider others. Let each of you, verse 4 again, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, it's coming to this frame of mind. What's of interest to you becomes an interest of me. If you have a need in your life, that need becomes my concern. Because how can I make a difference? How can I help fill that need? How can I help make a difference? And so that type of living is, is, letting, is really letting Christ live through you. And nothing significant is ever won or gained without sacrifice. And really, this scripture is talking about sacrifice. When you sacrifice your preference for a greater purpose, for a greater cause that will benefit another. And I think parents are, are, are that way many times. You know, when, when Deb and I started having kids, we wanted to do everything and give them everything. And, you know, we would sacrifice things that we wanted so that their needs could be met. Because our needs weren't as important as their needs because our eyes weren't on ourselves, they were on our children. See, that's a parenting thing. But yet, let's carry that over in how we deal with other people. And I think your life will change. And unwilling to, un, unwillingness to sacrifice, I believe, is the greatest enemy to a relationship. What if Jesus was unwilling to sacrifice for us? In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see in the passage, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, where Jesus came to this place in prayer where he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Think about that. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his will, and his will was, I don't want to die. But in in fact, he said to God in his prayer, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. If there's any other way you can save humanity, do it. But he came to the conclusion, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I I believe that that is the most powerful prayer that you can pray. Not my will, but thy will be done. And, you know, when I I think about prayer, one of the things about prayer, too, uh, if you don't think you need to pray, you're full of pride. Because you're saying, I don't need to pray. Because I'm okay without prayer. It's arrogance against God. It's saying you don't need him in your life. I can live life without you, God. So, see, prayer, what is it? It connects us in relationship with God. It helps build and grow your relationship. It's communion with the Father. It's talking to him. So don't always feel that you have to have it your way. Some people have the attitude, my way or the highway. You, you need to get rid of that. Begin to consider the concerns and the interests of others. You know, when I think of Jean, you know, she lived her life that way. She lived a life of sacrifice for her friends and for her family. And I believe that's why she's so honored and celebrated because of who she was. And so the third important element for building relationships is 
remain teachable. Remain teachable. You might say, well, what does this have to do with building relationships? Well, you need to be teachable, not gullible, but teachable. In fact, we all start out teachable. The challenge is to remain teachable when we have gained some knowledge and experience. See, that's one of the challenges when you don't know anything. Yeah, you're teachable. Tell me how to do this. Show me how. You know, as children are growing up, they're teachable. In fact, that's one of the greatest qualities about a child. They're teachable. And if they're teachable, they're moldable, they're shapeable. You can mold their lives. You can help build the character and do so much good in the child. Why? Because they're teachable. That's why Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom are these children. Why? Because they were teachable. There are some people that you can't teach. They're unteachable because they'll, they'll criticize, they'll challenge everything you have to say because they think they know better, they think they know more than you. Nobody likes a know-it-all. In fact, they have very few friends. They have only superficial relationships because they're a know-it-all. You can't tell me anything. See, in order to learn, you must be teachable. Proverbs 12.1, and I don't know if you've ever seen this translation, but it's called the Passion Translation. TPT for short, that's the abbreviation. The Passion Translation. Proverbs 12.1 reads, To learn the truth, you must long to be teachable, or you can despise, or you will despise correction and remain ignorant. What is it saying? If you're going to be teachable, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn the truth. But if you're not, you're going to be ignorant. You're going to remain ignorant, okay? Proverbs 9.9 9 reads in the Passion, Teach a wise man what is right, and he'll grow even wiser. Instruct the lovers of God, and they'll learn even more. So we see the principle involved here for one who is teachable. You will learn more. You will go farther than the one who is not. Now, one indication of a true follower of Jesus Christ is having a teachable spirit being teachable. You know, I can go in any setting, even in a place where maybe I don't agree with somebody uh, philosophically or with where they're standing in, you know, their mindset, their worldview. But I go in there teachable so they can learn, okay, where are they coming from? What is their mindset? Rather than being so blinded saying, no, I'm set And not that I'm going to be swayed by what they're saying, but I want to understand where they're coming from. Because if I'm going to relate to them, I have to have an understanding where they're coming from. Why do they believe what they believe? And how can we bring truth to the table so that they can begin to maybe see things from a different perspective in their own life to make some changes? See, so the days of forced conversion are over. During the Early church, there was a period of time what they called the Crusades. It was literally forced conversion. Could you imagine having somebody come up to you with a sword, pointing it at your throat and saying, believe in Jesus or die? <laughs> yeah, well, they had a lot of converts. <laughs> you know, uh, They were afraid, so I better get saved. <laughs> you know, we're not going to put a, a sword to your throat this morning, uh, believe me. Uh, but that was how off things got uh, in the early centuries of the church. 
And so, uh, praise God, there was correction, things came around, and uh, it's not that way anymore. At least it shouldn't be. But yet, there are some Christians that are that way, that they're just in people's faces. And, and it may not be a sword, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a harsh voice or condemnation, hellfire and brimstone. Now, yes, there's hellfire and brimstone, but that is not a forcibly way to, to get somebody on their knees to receive Jesus. And so we, we need to consider that um, because the Bible says the love of God leads men to repentance. We're led into a place of right relationship with God, not forced into it, okay? Uh, now, you do well to go to that place and receive Jesus, but nobody's going to twist your arm to force you. We value the message by valuing the messenger. Are you willing to let people speak into your life? See, you will never get anywhere in life if you're always finding fault with your teacher or if you're finding fault with your messenger. Because many times God's trying to get through to you, but you're not listening. And he's speaking to people that love you, that care for you. Let them speak into your life. Have a teachable spirit. In Psalms 86.11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I, may, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Yes. See, I believe that God wants to teach us, but that needs to be our heart cry as well. Teach me your way, Lord. I am teachable. Show me if I'm messing up if I'm going the wrong way, teach me so that I can walk in your truth. And so let me, I'm going to give you a, a, a little list here of uh, criteria for insecure people. Because I believe that unteachable people are really insecure. That's the issue. They're insecure. Um, and the criteria for insecure people are they never feel secure about their identity and are consistently comparing themselves to others. So that's an issue. <coughs> when someone corrects them, they get defensive. They won't advice from people that are not like themselves. They are the kind of people who are constantly trying to prove something. They're trying to prove their point. They may tend to lie to make themselves look good in front of others. Now, these are insecure people and who are unteachable. They are ashamed to let others know who they really are. And then when they're corrected, they typically feel rejected. And so, and, and that's an insecure person. That's a person who's unteachable. Now, criteria for secure people are, are this. They are they can be corrected without feeling rejected. Wow. They can be corrected without feeling rejected. Can you? Can you receive correction without being rejected? That means you're teachable. They listen to constructive criticism. Now, that's not always easy. But we need to be open to it if we're going to improve and get better. There's other things we could share, but we want to bring this message to a close. So again, this morning, we shared with you important elements of building relationships. Number one, unconditional love. 
Number two, sacrifice. And number three, remaining teachable. At this time, I'd like you to stand up together with me. And I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you speaking to me through this message today? Because I trust that you've heard something that has spoken to your heart. Because I believe God wants to do something in you significant. And yet we have to be willing to let God do something in us. Because I believe there's things he wants to do. There's changes he wants to make. But are you at the point where you surrender and say, Lord, change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, my life is not right with God. If I were to die today, I have, I don't have certainty whether or not I would go to heaven or hell. You may be in a place that you came here today because you're seeking, because you're looking for answers. Well, I believe the answer is found in Jesus in a relationship with him. We're talking about building relationships. And the most important relationship is a relationship with Jesus Christ. At the age of 17, when my older brother shared the gospel with me, the good news of how Jesus desired to save me from my sins and reveal himself to me. He talked about Jesus as a person, a real person that wanted to make a real difference in my life. And I'd never heard the gospel presented in that way before. Because to me, God was up there, I was here. There was a great distance. And who was I to have a relationship with Jesus? But he told me I could. And when he did, I said, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to know him in a personal way. He prayed with me. And on May 22nd, 1974, I gave my heart to Jesus. And when I did, my heart and life was flooded with his love. I cannot describe what I encountered that evening when my brother prayed with me to receive Jesus. Today, right here and right now, I want to offer to pray with you. If you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? Because I want to receive Jesus. I want to know him personally. Now, the most of us, or the majority of us, have already made that commitment to Jesus Christ. But if you haven't, with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, I want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to receive forgiveness of sins. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. The scripture says that if we repent, that means to turn. 
our sins and turn from our life apart from Him that He would save us. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind. It's a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to go the course of the world. I'm not going to go my own way, but I'm going to follow Jesus. For those of you that raised your hand and everyone else can join in this prayer, I call it a believing prayer. It's a prayer we pray acknowledging our faith in Christ and our acceptance of His Lordship in our life. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you and I surrender to you today. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. Make my life what you want it to be. Now, Father, I pray for everyone that is gathered here today. Father, that as we build relationships one with another, that we would have a greater understanding of unconditional love so that we, Father, could demonstrate the love of God towards those we encounter, those we interact with, whether it's on the job, whether it's at home, with family, at school, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for helping us express and demonstrate your unconditional love. And Father, help us to make the sacrifice of our own preferences by considering the needs and the importance of others and their concerns. Let us not be consumed with just our own interest, but help us to consider the interest of others. Father, help us to remain teachable so that our hearts will not grow hardened. Father, help us not to be critical or judgmental of others in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you help all of us nurture and build relationships. Relationships that already have been initiated, Father, with marriages, with families, and Father, new relationships that will be developed and formed. In Jesus' name, we give you praise and glory and honor. Amen. Well, we're going to worship together, and then the prayer team is going to come up at the close of the service, and uh, they'll be available to pray with anyone that desires prayer. Maybe you're in a situation where you're seriously having some struggles in relationships. Well, we want to pray with you and for you and join our faith with you. Or if there's any other need you may have, we certainly want to pray for you and the prayer team will be here. Especially if you lifted your hand to receive Jesus, we invite you to come and let whoever is praying for you know that you lifted your hand. And and we just want to help you grow and connect in your relationship to God. Thank you so much for being so attentive to the word. God bless you. Let's worship him. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.